This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. It was inevitable that at some point people would figure out that the border is a total mess and the people in the media are lying to you about it. That was just going to happen. It was a question of how long it would take. I mean, I know that there are those Democrats who are actually open borders ideologically, and so they don't really care what a mess things have turned into down there. But there are some others, I think, who really believe the propaganda from the Biden administration. They really think that they're being told the truth. And now we're saying, hold on a second. You mean they might actually start building wall? They might act. This is the Biden administration. They might start going after sanctuary cities. They might start prosecuting illegals who cross more than once or have other additional criminality. This is what's being said now. You're not really hearing a lot about it, though, are you? It's because the politics of this are turning against the Democrats. And uh, the media, as you know, doesn't want you to know what's really happening. They're always engaged in propaganda. And that includes social media companies. As, as I'm sure you're aware, there's an effort underway from social media giants to suppress speech and also to punish people who step out of line with their political opinions. And that's why I really urge you right now, you got to get ExpressVPN. That's what I have. Because everything you search for, click, or watch online can be tracked, is tracked by the big tech companies. And then they match your activity to your identity using your device's IP address. Well, when I turn on my ExpressVPN, this is on my computer, my iPhone, you name it, my IP address is masked by a secure VPN server. It makes it a lot harder for websites to identify me. The ExpressVPN app, which is so easy, just download it to your phone. It takes a minute. Uh, encrypts your network's data to protect sensitive information from being compromised. Plus, you can use it on up to five devices simultaneously. Stop handing over your data to big tech companies, okay? Go with the VPN that I trust for online protection. Right now, trust me, go to expressvpn.com buck to get three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash buck to get three extra months free. Expressvpn.com slash buck. The border is a mess. You know that. It's very clear based on all the news stories that you can see on this. And if you just read the basic facts and figures, or if you really just understand the Democrats' view on the border. I mean, they, they tell you things that are not what they really think and believe for public consumption so they can fool enough of the country that they can get away with this stuff for a little while. But that's starting to slip. They got problems. You have right now at the U.S.-Mexico border the highest number of illegal crossings in 20 years. That's right, in 20 years, friends. And if you go back to the late 90s and and uh, if you go back to the periods where you had border crossings along these similar lines, there were just single males who were crossing the border. It wasn't family units, wasn't unaccompanied children. And they were doing it in such large numbers and with such ease that they would go back and forth illegally across the border. You talk to Border Patrol, you can hear the stories about this. Sometimes they would just line up 100 guys right at the uh, Tijuana, San Diego border, and they would just all do essentially a jailbreak run where they just go across and act like, you know, or, or, or wait to see if anyone could actually tackle them from Border Patrol. That's how easy it was then. It's easier now, in a sense, because you don't even have to run. You just 
If you want to cross into the country illegally, wave them down and say you want asylum. It's all it's all you have to do. And this, as I've said all along, is because of the incentives in place right now. The people who are at the southern border and trying to control this border patrol, immigration and customs enforcement, they don't have the political backing or the resources necessary to do the job that they want to do. They're entrusted to do on behalf of the American people. And they will tell you, and they have been telling people that I am are, are, in contact with who are down there. And also, as I said, I'll be going down to the border myself in a couple of weeks to speak with all of them. Uh, they'll tell you that it's obvious why this is happening. People understand the Biden administration is not going to deport them and is welcoming to illegal crossings. That's it. It's very straightforward. But it's so straightforward at this point, given the numbers and the fact that you have a, a increasing public opinion turning on Joe Biden on this issue, because the more you see this and the more it keeps happening, you say, hold on a second. How exactly are they planning on stopping this? I've been telling you all along, this is just going to get worse. Why wouldn't it just get worse? What's the what's the downside? If you want to come to America illegally and stay here forever because it's a rich country with a big welfare state and a whole lot of economic opportunity. And as I've always said, I, I have no animosity. I have I have no ill will toward people who are crossing into the United States illegally. I understand why they're doing this, but I also understand why we have to have a border and law and order and sovereignty or else the country starts to just evaporate over time. What is a country without borders? These are fundamental questions that used to be agreed upon by the American people, but now it's changed dramatically, as you know. You can't have a welfare state and open borders. You can go back to Milton Friedman. It's quite obvious why that's the case. And given the amount of money that we're spending now, the trillions of dollars we're throwing around, you start to see that the whole system is feeling a bit wobbly. And certainly our immigration system is coming apart so much so that the Biden administration is now. And this is the this is the great part of it. Considering what would you call it? Uh, Trumpian border policies or at least a move toward them. What do I mean specifically? Well, DHS, according to a virtual town hall with the chief of DHS, Mayorkas, may start to prosecute some illegal crossers, especially those who are crossing for a second time. As I've told you, even if you did get turned back, there's no downside to trying it again. You might have to pay off the smugglers a second time, but that's it. There's no reason not to try again because they're not punishing people. Turns out that's actually a felony. It's a misdemeanor to cross into the United States the first time illegally. Second time you do it, it's a felony. You think they're prosecuting people under that? Well, they might have to, because if you don't, guess what? People keep coming. You don't just deport them once. You have to deport them a second time, maybe a third time. And they're seeing this now. Another one, and this is this is classic. They may fill in gaps in the border wall. The Biden administration may fill in some of the gaps in the border wall. Now, part of this is because the funding has already been allocated and they're saying there are these legal reasons for why the funding must be used. But they're also admitting, well, yeah, in some places, it's actually probably a good thing to have a finished fence, a finished wall. I've been to different sections of border wall, spoken to the Border Patrol about this at length. Walls work. I mean, of all the stupid things that Democrats said 
during the Trump administration that walls don't work, maybe even more blatantly idiotic than Trump worked with Putin and Russia to steal the election through collusion that somehow there was no evidence of. And as we know from the very extensive investigations about it, it was all a fabrication. Uh, it's even dumber to say that the walls don't work. That's like saying water is not wet, right? That's like saying so up is not uh, up is not up. Down is up. Up is down. It's meant to exhaust you intellectually and to confuse you the way the Biden administration approaches so many things. You're seeing this now with infrastructure. Uh, you'll, you'll see them say that you know, everything is infrastructure now. I saw Kirsten Gillibrand on Twitter, the Democrat senator from New York, saying child care is infrastructure. Health care is infrastructure. N- no, actually, child care is child care. It's not infrastructure. But they're going to say that everything is infrastructure now because it's propaganda. We're not idiots. We know that what they're saying isn't true, but they don't care. And they can fool the simple for the benefit of the powerful. That's the plan. That's exactly what they're doing right now. Which brings me to uh, what's actually happening at the border. DHS Secretary Mayorkas is saying that they will maybe fill in some gaps. You know, just, just fill in some gaps in that wall. Why would you do that? I mean, walls don't work, they told us. Oh, it turns out that was a big lie. And, and a really dumb one, too. You know, we, we all understand walls don't work. The people that tell you masks work so well also tell you walls don't work. But there are walls all over the place seem to work pretty well. Illegal crossings may be prosecuted under certain circumstances now. There was a whole movement, and it still is, among Democrats like AOC to make illegal crossing no longer a crime. Which, how are you ever going to stop border surges then? And they also are saying, the Biden administration is saying, through this Mayorkas town hall for DHS, they'll take on sanctuary cities that won't assist federal law enforcement. Wait, hold, hold on a second. I, I, I need to make sure that I'm, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm double checking my work here. Yeah, that is what they are claiming. That is what they are saying that they are, are going to. This is the headline from Daily Mail. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Biden's Homeland Security Secretary now says he wants to prosecute more illegal immigrants and will crack down on Democrat sanctuary cities that refuse to work with ICE. Cracking down on sanctuary cities? Really? Uh, What are we now? Three, four months into the Biden administration? And they're already realizing obvious reality, which is that the status quo at the border, which is open borders, is unsustainable, even for crazy Democrats. Now, they don't mind the outcome of this in terms of the population inflow to the United States of illegals. That's not their problem. The problem is the American people are starting to see this as much as the media is trying to cover up and soft pedal it and make it seem like it's not that bad and trying to downplay all this. The American people are seeing this and saying, what the heck is going on down there? And it's being reflected in the polling numbers. It's being reflected in public perception. So now they at least have to start to pay lip service to what would be termed in a normal world border security which they do not have right now. Didn't take very long, did it? Remember kids in cages, and how awful Trump was and everything else? Maybe they just were trying to do the best they could under difficult circumstances to actually secure the border 
not to kick it wide open and then say, oh, we don't know how this happened. Oh, this is crazy. It's a crazy world we live in, folks. Guess we can't do anything about it. You know, maybe Biden will give another speech where he sort of squints and mutters some stuff to the American people where he's, you know, you know, guys, uh, you know, I'm your leader. And, you know, I got things to say. It's unbelievable this guy is the president, but he is. Thanks, Democrats. What a joke. Oh, and then there's Kamala, the border czar, Kamala Harris, put in charge of this. You know, what's fascinating about Kamala Harris. Uh, She has the fanciest taxpayer funded transportation system possible, right? Air Force Two or or whatever, the vice president's plane. I I, I forget what what, is is it. Whatever. I mean, there's Marine One, there's Air Force Two, I, I guess. Whatever it is, she's on a fancy plane paid for by the taxpayer. She can go anywhere she wants pretty much on a moment's notice. She's been all over the place, been on the West Coast, the East Coast. She's she's stopped all over the country, uh, flown all across the country. She's in uh, Brentwood, California. She's flying all over the place and hasn't been to the border. So she's a border czar who's in charge of this, but doesn't seem to want to actually go see the crisis herself. Isn't that just so strange? Well, because any photo ops might backfire. You can't have her standing at these grossly overcrowded facilities where there's no social distancing and people are spreading COVID all over the place and kids are in really uh, nasty circumstances there as as well as other people that are being held in detention at the border. Uh, You can't go to these overflowing facilities and put on a big smile and say, look at what a great job we're doing. So she's avoiding it. That Kamala is not going to the border, that she laughs when she's asked about going to the border and she's in charge of this as the vice president of this administration is a metaphor for the whole situation. They're just trying to cover up their eyes and just say, ah, we don't really know. Maybe there's a problem. Maybe there's not. But let's not focus too much on it. Oh, no, there's a big problem and they can't solve it unless they're willing to do the one thing they really don't want to do which has approached the border in a way more similar to the Trump administration. The virus is spreading because we have too many people who seen the end in sight think we're at the finish line already. But let me be deadly earnest with you. We aren't at the finish line. We still have a lot of work to do. We're still in a life and death race against this virus. Until we get more people vaccinated, we need everyone to wash their hands socially distance and mask up in a recommended mask from the CDC. Think about it this way. Better times are ahead. Think about it this way. Joe Biden's a moron and doesn't know anything and says the same crap all the time and it's not actually helping. He doesn't know why there's been a surge in five states, basically, that have accounted for a whole lot of the spread, including New York, New Jersey, Michigan. Uh, You know, the cases recently, they're also not separating out cases from hospitalizations and fatalities because younger people getting this is not a problem. Older people getting this is the problem. So as long as seniors are vaccinated and not part of the wave that's going on right now, the surge, we really don't have anything to to be worried about. But that would be a rational, reasonable way to approach this. I just had COVID. I remember when I, when I called my doc 
I said, I got COVID. He's like, yeah, you'll be fine. Do this, do that. Drink some fluids. You're in the, you're in the low risk category. If a problem comes up, you call me. Okay, that was it. And then I stayed home for a while, right? Now, I'm lucky because I'm at a relatively low risk from COVID based on my age and, and characteristics, comorbidities, et cetera. Uh, but there are a lot of other people out there who are in the same position. I was going into an office every day. I was going about my life. And sure enough, I got it. I did all the things they told me I had to do, which, as you know, I'm highly skeptical of and think are mostly worthless. But I did those things, still got sick. But you know what? Fine. I wouldn't change a darn thing. I mean, I would have rather not gotten it if I could have chosen, but I'm just saying I would have lived my life differently over the last year. In fact, if anything, I would have said, well, why am I doing all this crap? I'm likely to get it over the course of the year anyway. I'm not going to be first in line for the vaccine by a long shot. So, you know, maybe I should just be able to live my life. Oh, but it's always the risk to other people, they say. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. I mean, I, I was with my girlfriend the day that I basically came down with symptoms with her the whole day in close contact. She's fine. She never got sick. There's so much about this virus that we don't understand still when it comes to transmission. They won't tell you that, but it's true. We understand the basics. Yes, it's aerosolized virus and it gets in your system. And But human patterns of behavior and how it, anyway, I, you, you all know how I feel about this. But the mask up, we're not the end. We're not the end. I mean, just wait until they realize that there will, there will always be coronavirus out there and there will be mutations of coronavirus in the future. And they're going to want to have this ability to just sort of shut down or close down parts of society. Remember, we never went into a true lockdown. Never. Not in this country. I mean, maybe for the first two weeks, something that was kind of close to one. But we, what we always had was this pick and choose, arbitrary, some businesses shut down, others open, some you know, some employers keep people coming in. Others don't. It, it was all it was all absurd the whole time and arbitrary and didn't work. But now Biden's got the answers. Oh, because people see the end. No, that's not. He doesn't know that. Are they seeing the end in Texas? And that's why bad things are happening. Oh, no, Texas is getting better. Somehow Fauci notice Fauci can't even give you an answer. At least he's admits that, you know, he's like, well, it could be this, it could be that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know, mitigation, plateau, mask up, the whole thing. And yet Biden, who I wouldn't trust to teach a fifth grade social studies class, he's out there, you know, mask up, wash your hands. Yeah, wash your hands. Just repeat that a million times a day. I'm sure that's really going to save a lot of folks. Sure. Remember when they were telling us the beginning it was all about hand washing? You notice they, they slowed down on that because, no, it's really about aerosolized virus, which means virus particles that are free-floating in the air. That's how people get this. But they still do the whole, oh, you know, I'm going to give out Purell bottles to everybody on the airline. Yeah, that's great. So we all smell like rubbing alcohol. Yet they know that the politics of this are getting more complicated for them. They're not going to have vaccine passports, they say, from the federal government. Play six. The White House is ruling out any involvement in vaccine passports. What does that mean and why? So what the White House has said uh, and the administration has emphasized is that the, the government will not be requiring or issuing uh, vaccine credentials. Uh, and that's important to know. Now, the private sector has certainly uh, launched a number of initiatives to try to develop some sort of credential system uh, whereby people can attest to and confirm that they were vaccinated. 
And what the government and the administration really believes is that if the private sector is going to do that, that there need to be strict standards to ensure that people are protected, that their privacy is protected, and also to ensure that these are accessible to everyone and not only available to those uh, who have economic needs. What the Biden administration is going to do is push the private. That's what they're already doing. Push the private sector, encourage the private sector to set up vaccine passports. And then once that's happening in places, then there'll be a move for the federal government to just regulate what the private sector is already doing. Backdoor vaccine passport tyranny, folks. That's the plan. Wokeness really is a cancer on the mind of the American people. It's a it's a, a just a destructive, awful force. And the only way that we really get past it, I think, is if we fight against it you know there there was this there was this mentality before that i think a lot of people had that oh it'll pass you know this is a fashion it's a fad and while i hope it's temporary it's not going to be temporary in my opinion unless people start taking action right? unless people start doing things uh, that are meant to show that there will be consequences for companies that go woke go woke go broke it's got to be very very well known that that's that's the way this happens. And then also, uh, you know, individuals need to find ways to reach out to each other, to communicate and to do so so that we can organize. Remember the Tea Party movement of 2010. It was people at the local level coming together to create a national movement that delivered a devastating loss in the 2010 midterms to the Obama socialist agenda right with the democrat party so that's really important but you know if you've tried to share your political opinions on social media lately you know that it's just fraught with peril you could get kicked off you have these big tech giants that will shut you down or even worse they'll shadow ban you so you think you're reaching people but you're actually not that happens to me all the time that's why i really want you to check out caucusroom.com Caucusroom.com, listen to this. It's a social media network exclusively for conservatives. Caucusroom is an online community for conservatives to gather and engage locally. It's only real people who are verified conservatives who can become Caucusroom members. And Caucusroom will never share your information with anyone ever. It's a great way to get engaged on issues where you can make the biggest difference locally. Okay, At Caucusroom, you can participate in live virtual meetings. They're so secure that caucus room played host to over a dozen virtual Republican Party conventions in the past year. All right, this is made by conservatives for conservatives to get organized and make a difference. Become a part of it today. Join the Buck Sexton Listeners Group. That's right, we have our own Team Buck Listeners Group, the Buck Sexton Listeners Group on caucusroom.com. That's C-A-U-C-U-S-R-O-O-M.com, caucusroom.com. Com. Join. It's free. You can interact with other listeners just like you. Find other Team Buck, other conservatives in your area at caucusroom.com. I think that's up to the, uh, the masters. Look, uh, you know, um, it is reassuring to see that uh, for-profit operations and businesses are speaking up about how these new Jim Crow laws are just antithetical to who we are. There's another side to it, too. The other side to it, too, is when they, in fact, move out of Georgia, the people who need the help the most, people who are making hourly wages, sometimes get hurt the most. 
I think it's a very tough decision for a corporation to make or a group to make. But I respect them when they make that judgment, and I support whatever judgment they make. But it's the best way to deal with this is for Georgia and other states to smarten up. Stop it. Stop it. It's about getting people to Stop it. Stop it. You know, smarten up. You know, you know I'm Joe, Joe Biden. I'm just, you know, just kind of whispery and I'm like America's grandpa. Really, I'm just here to fool you so the socialists can take over and destroy everything and give your 12-year-old puberty-blocking drugs because if you won't do that, you're a bad person. But, you know, I'm just good old Joe, Amtrak Joe, yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. First of all, to call, and, and, and I'm not going to budge on this, I'm not going to let this go, to call the Georgia voting law, uh, SB202, the Voter Integrity Act, uh, Jim Crow, is a shameless, reckless, unsupportable, unfair, nasty, divisive, grotesque thing to say. And the president of the United States is saying, this is the uniter president, right? So it's going to be so much better than we had Trump. Trump was always dividing us. Biden will unite us. Anyone who believed that was not very smart. It's just true. It's just it's ridiculous. I mean, they can say that he's uniting Democrats. He's not uniting any Republicans with the other side on anything. Biden unites us on nothing. And he says things like it's uh, Jim Crow laws, which if you just do a quick Google search and familiarize yourself with what Jim Crow laws really were, say, how could Joe Biden be so scummy? How could he be so disingenuous? And oh, that's right. That's who Joe Biden is. That's who he has been all along. And now, you know, we're just seeing it, folks. You know, you got to smarten up. You got to, you know, you know, no joke. You know, I mean, the whole thing, it's absurd. Okay. But so then he did say something here that was interesting to me because I've been pointing out now for days. You know who really gets harmed by this decision by Major League Baseball uh, to move the game from Atlanta, to, as we mentioned, to Denver? And we love our Denver audience. We love our folks in the state of Colorado, Team Buck, and good for them to get the all-star game, although I think an all-star baseball game sounds like the most boring thing I've ever heard. But anyway, people do go to see it, and there is money that's generated from this. You're hurting stadium employees, guys selling hot dogs in the stands, uh, local restaurant and pub and bar owners, uh, people that have hotels or even Airbnbs near the site of the game. You know, that's who you're hurting. I mean, I can't believe they said $100 million of revenue was the estimate. I, that's, that's astonishing to me, but if that's what I'm told. I mean, I also think it's unbelievable that baseball players can make millions of dollars for a sport that seems like very few people watch and that's slowly dying. But anyway, people like it, so good for them. I mean, that's fine. I, I don't care. I'm just... I'm focused on the politics here, folks. I stay in my lane. Uh, But it is true that you punish people who don't deserve to be punished at all. But the problem with the Democrat approach to so many things is that they are collectivists and they believe in the emotions of the mob dictating action. And that's always going to result in people who are innocent, who did nothing wrong, suffering. They want to. Show everybody how angry they are about something. Show everybody how woke they are on a certain topic. And they take action. And those actions then harm people who have nothing to do with 
the actual topic at hand, really. But they got to sacrifice some folks. Where else do you see this? Not just with wokeness and Major League Baseball. You see it with the BLM movement and the destruction of businesses. And, you know, the, the Antifa lunatics burning down buildings and, and trying to burn down police stations. Well, they did burn down a police station in Minneapolis, as you know. That was BLM. Uh, but this is what ends up happening. And they, then they justify this because, well, we're angry. We're upset about something. So that means someone has to suffer. It's exactly the same mentality you see at work in Georgia. Georgia just voted for two, as a state, two Democrat senators, both of whom are preposterous, but they, they won. Two Democrat senators and voted for Joe Biden in the presidential election. Georgia is now thought of as a, as a flipped blue state. But because they're they're passing at the state level an Election Integrity Act, they're going to treat it like it's the new home of Jim Crow laws. I mean, that's what they're saying. That's what Biden, the president of the United States, is saying. So they punish the whole state. Think of how stupid this is. And how utterly pointless. But that's why Joe Biden. Remember, it's pointless if you're a rational, reasonable person, but it's not about justice. It's not about punishing the guilty or doing something that is truly righteous and moral. It's about that feeling. It's about the mobilization of the left and that virtue signaling feeling that people have. of, Oh, I'm, yeah, that's right. We're stopping Jim Crow laws in Georgia. Yeah. Go Major League Baseball. Yeah. That's that's the power of this left wing movement. That's where it derives all of its momentum. Just that that people can say, yeah, I feel better about myself. There's an emotional impulse. There's, there's an, an emotional need that is met here. They don't have to do anything. They risk nothing. They take no action. They go through no struggle. They just support this, and then they get to post it on their Facebook page. They get to tell their friends, yeah, that's right. And all the journos write about this. We're standing up. It's a new civil rights movement. No, you're not, actually. You're hurting people, and it's stupid, and you're wrong. But Governor Abbott of the state of Texas has pointed out that Georgia's election laws, not only do we do a little comparison to the laws in Colorado, um, but also Georgia's election laws are, uh, in comparison to some other places, a whole lot more accommodating and likely to increase turnout and make things easy for people. Play clip one. Uh, the MLB was basically boycotting uh, the state of Georgia uh, that has laws that are more lenient for voters than the state of New York, than the state of Delaware, uh, where President Biden hails from himself, uh, and not knowing what the laws provide, not knowing that the laws actually did not crack down, but instead expanded the ability to vote. It is ridiculous that we have some of these organizations that know nothing whatsoever about what the law provides, but they're getting and injecting themselves into politics in ways that are just flat out wrong. Doesn't matter that they're wrong, though, right? That's the way they view it. They got what they wanted, which was to stick their thumb in the eye of the other side of those bad Republicans. That it was all based in a lie doesn't matter. This is another central idea to the modern Democrat Party. If we get to slap our opponents in the face, it doesn't matter if it was based on a lie. It's not a problem for us. If we were wrong to do it because we want to slap them anyway. Case in point, after the uh, Boulder, the terrible mass shooting in Boulder happened, 
you had people all over the Internet, including Kamala Harris's niece and, you know, other other people who were saying things about how it's always a white male. It's always a white guy. And turned out it was an Islamist from Islamist immigrant from Syria named Al Isa, as we know. And they have since stopped talking about this shooting entirely, kind of like the shooting that just happened in Maryland, which we'll discuss because that isn't getting any attention. There was an active shooter situation, shot a couple of people on an army base in Maryland. You'd think that there would be a little more attention paid to this, but but no, no. Why is that? Oh, I think we all know. But as I was telling everybody at the time, there was no shame or shock from the people that were saying it's always white male Trump supporters who are doing the mass shootings, which it is it, it's not true. So that's the big it, it, that's just not reality. That's not what the statistics show at all. But they don't care because it felt good to say it. It felt good to basically say blank you Trump supporters and to use a lie to do it. They don't care. They want that that emotional need to be met. They want that, yeah, we hate them. Anything that gives them an excuse for that, that's sufficient. That's entirely, uh, that's entirely justification. And that, that is their approach. So that's why, while we look at this Georgia thing, we say, so it makes no sense what Major League Baseball decided here. And remember, Major League Baseball is just the most visible because it moved the All-Star game. But there are all these woke companies. I mean, so many of them have signed a letter of solidarity. I think it's like 100 major companies have signed you know, public letters of solidarity with this. And there are smart people who work at these companies, but they're politicized. And so they don't care that what they're saying is bull crap. Uh, but the other part of it is you think maybe they're trying to focus attention away from the border. I mean, look, look around today. You'll see not that many news organizations are really spending time on what's happening at the border and certainly not in the change in policy that I've talked to you about, how they're doing Trumpier and Trumpier things at the border. You, you don't you don't pick up that, do you? What's that all about? Why is that the situation? Why is that the circumstance in which we find ourselves? Hmm. Almost like they don't want people to know what's really happening. Um, and. Georgia just is a distraction. It's a mobilization. And like I said to you, if you are hoping that proving the wrongness, the intellectual and moral wrongness of their case here against Georgia is going to stop them or change their minds, you're, you are mistaken, which is why I'm telling you what really motivates them. They want to feel righteous and tall and strong and good and slap you in the face. That's it. The truth does not matter to the left in that regard. I think it's important to remember the context here. Uh, the Georgia legislation is built on a lie. Uh, it's there was no widespread fraud in the 2020 election. Uh, Georgia's top Republican election officials have acknowledged that repeatedly in interviews. Uh, and what there was, however, was record setting turnout, especially by voters of color. So. Instead, what we're seeing here is in, for politicians who didn't like the outcome, uh, they're not changing their policies uh, to win more votes. They're changing the rules to exclude more voters. And we certainly see the circumstances as different. It's just not true. I mean, she's lying to you. If, if we had an honest press, they'd say, what are you talking about? They're actually adding. They're adding Saturday early voting days. They're codifying things that were changes in the pandemic year that in some cases, like the drop boxes, in some cases are, are now going to be permanent and just make it all easier. They're adding some security measures. 
That's it. It's, it's all very standard. There's nothing about this that's discriminatory or racist, certainly not Jim Crow, but the Democrats have their narrative and they're going to run with it. Governor Kemp is sticking to his guns on this one, thankfully. Here's what he says about what's going on. Play 11. Do you believe Major League Baseball will live to regret this decision? Uh, yeah, I think they will. I mean, it's almost comical, uh, just all of these hits that keep falling, moving the all-star game from a city that's, you know, or a metro area that's 51% African-American to a metro area that's 10% African-American that has less early voting days than Georgia has. They have 15. We have 17. They have a photo ID requirement for in-person voting as uh, as we do the voter ID here. I mean, it's insane. I mean, you, you compare where Major League Baseball is headquartered in New York. And we've, you know, I've talked to, to that that issue to nauseam really about the discrepancies and how they're boycotting and pulling games out of a state like ours, yet they're headquartered in a state that's more restricted than we are. I mean, it just doesn't add up. And I will tell you, the people here and all over the country have figured this out. They are outraged and they are sick and tired of the cancel culture. The truth does not matter to the left on this, though. The Democrats, it doesn't matter, as I've been telling you. you you've got to rem- you've got to remember that. That's central to all of this. And if if you're wondering, you know, why are they doing this? Why pick this issue? What's this Biden administration? It's so left wing. It's so woke. Embraces so openly the cancel culture. Though you know, Biden was asked about the PGA. Professional Golf Association and playing the Masters in Augusta, Georgia. And uh, Biden said, oh, you know, we leave it up to them or something like that. Well, first of all, the Masters, I think, is already happening. So it's too late for that to be canceled. Uh, And but beyond that, you know, you start to say, "Okay, what state now everyone's figured out this game. What state are you going to move it to? That's going to be so much better. You want to make sure those voting laws are far more permissive than what you got in Georgia. Good luck with that. So that that causes problems for them. But who's really pulling the strings? Who's really calling the shots in this Biden administration? You know, Amtrak Joe is a mediocrity. We're all very aware of that. He's not very bright. He doesn't really stand for anything. He's just been around forever and does whatever he needs to do. He's just a slimy politician. A guy has no no particular moral or ethical backbone. He's a Catholic who's for abortion all nine months of a pregnancy and then talks about how his faith guides him and all. I mean, the guy's a joke. But who's really calling the shots? You got to ask yourself that. And you got to listen to this. Play clip 10. So um, uh, one other question about phone calls. Has President Biden spoken to President Obama about how to pass the infrastructure bill? Has President Obama given him any advice on how to pass that bill? They speak regularly. Uh, They, of course, were president and vice president, but they are also friends and they share a bond of serving through eight years of the Obama Biden administration, but uh, also a personal friendship and kinship. Uh, And he speaks with him regularly, but uh, we're not going to read out those calls. No surprise there. Yeah, we're not going to read out those calls. This is where you, you have to understand the media is never going to tell you this openly or honestly. And they're going to shout you down for even saying this. You might as well have Obama as president still. Now, I know Biden is actually the president and he's in the Oval Office and he lives in the White House and all this stuff. But every major decision 
and every important call that the presidency is going to is going to make for the next four years, at least, is really going to be decided by Barack Hussein Obama. That's you see now it's all starting to make sense, is it? Now it's all coming together because you wondered how could the left of the Democrats Biden's such a loser. But he won. But how did that happen? Well, because the Democrat establishment knew that he's the perfect guy to be there because that will mean that Obama's effectively this the president from afar. I mean, he's actually going to be calling the shots. Oh, it all makes sense. What Republicans will actually stand up against this woke left wing Biden administration madness? Who's really willing and able to have this fight? And to stay in it. Not a lot these days, uh, not a lot of people that you see who have a real national profile and uh, seem like they're to be trusted on these policy matters. You know, I'm I'm seeing more and more of the uh, of the fallout of what was a an interview last night on Tucker Carlson's show, which, as you know, is the number one cable news show across all all channels on cable news by far. I mean, Tucker's show is completely, uh, you know, head and shoulders and in, in audience numbers above the other shows on Fox and and on uh, CNN and MSNBC. And you start to see why. I mean, it's become the place for cable news commentary, cable news commentary on the right. And one of the few places where you'll see interviews of people on our own side where they'll be asked the questions that need to be asked without Without uh, pandering, without, oh, well, you know, you gave us this interview. So, you know, if, if if we have to go a little soft on you, go a little easy on you, you know, we're willing to do that. Um, no, that's not what they do over there. We saw Governor Nome go on Tucker Carlson's show and try to defend with just gibberish. I mean, what she was saying was was absurd. It was, you know, no, it's a trial lawyer's dream and we just want to change to a few things here and they'll send it. But no, she vetoed it, folks. She was she was trying to pull a fast one. She got caught. She's a big phony. Sorry, South Dakota. Corporate interests. She wants to be liked by them. She wants those board seats, you know, when she's no longer governor presidency is four years away that's a big thing to try to get involved with gonna get a lot of hate doesn't want to deal with it sorry i know we want i know we want a republican female president and and you see somebody who seems well-spoken and is telegenic and you figure okay well maybe this is this is it you know we had sarah palin in that in that position generally speaking didn't work out now we have christy Nome. i think she's at the national level i think she's done and I know people have given her a lot of credit because South Dakota stayed pretty open. But I mean, it's as I've said, it's South Dakota and South Dakota actually has the I think it's the sixth or seventh highest mortality per capita in the country. So South Dakota did not actually do very well. If we're really going to if we're really going to speak truth, which is what we do on this show, didn't do very well against covid comparative uh, compared to other states. You know, Florida, huge state, very dense middle of the per capita mortality nationwide, actually on the on the better half uh, of the 50 states. South Dakota is like number, I don't know, I've, I haven't checked the numbers in a couple of weeks, but it was number five or six, maybe, maybe number seven last time I checked. That's not good for a state that doesn't even have a single major city. So, yeah. Christy Nome went on air and she tried to she tried to get cute. She tried to pull a fast one. She got a little smarmy with Tucker and we saw who she really was. And I'm not going to forget it. So 
there's that. And then you had this guy, Asa Hutchinson, the governor, another governor. And remember, Republicans, we, we like people that are in charge, make calls as politicians and elevate them. So we want to have governors usually as president or even an outsider, as we see with Trump. Democrats like to have senators. They like to have people that are you know, consensus institutionalists and elevate them to look at Joe Biden, elevate them to the presidential role. I know he was vice president, but come on. Uh, it was Joe Biden. You know, he's really tough. Uh, you had Asa Hutchinson on last night, and he went into Tucker's Thunderdome and did not come out well at all. It was political nuclear meltdown. And you, you can watch it. It's about nine minutes long. It's all over the Internet now. You watch the clip. And, and Hutchinson really just went in there with such a weak argument. I, I don't know. Maybe he hasn't been subjected because he's in Arkansas and it's a red state. And maybe he hasn't been subjected to having to really debate at a high level in that regard. I don't know. I was shocked at how inept the guy looked. But this is once again on the issue of trans. Same thing that got Christy Nomal jammed up. Transgender rights. The new transgender civil rights movement. And anybody who's looking at the actual data and numbers would say, hold on, a we've had a 2,000% increase in, uh, in teen and adolescent gender dysphoria and child gender dysphoria. 2,000% increase in the last 10 years. Hmm. I mean, it, you know, this is where you start to say, is there something in, in, in our drinking water or are we in the, in the midst of a, a, moral, a moral fashion that has turned into a moral panic? And that's why there's all this pressure on kids, social contagion among kids. They see other kids get a lot of attention for this or they have strange emotions or feelings at that age. They don't know how to process it. Uh, and no, we're not only not allowed to talk about it. Remember, there are some things all you have to know is when, when they won't let you have a conversation about something that matters, then you really need to have the conversation. And this is yet another instance of that. This is another another moment, another period where you'd say, oh, okay. And that then brings me to what happened with Asa Hutchinson, governor of Arkansas. So he vetoed and was overridden by his own state legislature. So they, they, they were able to override the veto of the governor on this one. So Republicans, the state of Arkansas and the state legislature, they're saying, no, 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 we're, we're, we're actually supporting this. Which means you say, well, hold on a second. How could Asa Hutchinson get this thing so wrong? What's really his argument about this? Well, here's just a piece of what was about a nine-minute-long interview. Play three. Issues that you have to address the legislature. You make judgment calls on it, but we also try to restrain ourselves as conservatives and say we don't have to be involved in every issue. And if you want to broaden the party, if you want to get back to the principles, then let's at least think through in a reasoned way as to whether this is the right bill to interfere with parents and doctors decisions on a health care matter as you pointed out has does not have thorough research in every area and so i yield to that but and you, whenever you look at this you, bill and you my yield veto to the lack of, of research really quick 10 years ago if somebody had said hey asa hutchinson you're gonna be governor of arkansas and you're gonna veto a bill that would have protected children from chemical castration what do you think you would have said well, just like I said today, if you're talking about a reassignment surgery, I would have signed that bill in a minute. But whenever you're talking about 
maybe less than 200 kids in Arkansas that's currently on hormone treatment, and they are immediately cut off without having a grandfather clause in this legislation. I don't think that's treating those kids or their parents or their yeah. health care providers fairly or equally. So here's a Republican governor of a very Republican state who is vetoing legislation from fellow Republican legislature, legislators because he wants to make sure that the small, relatively small number of children who are on drugs that are given to people, to, uh, given to adults to chemically castrate them. These are hormone blocking drugs with enormous emotional and physical implications. They're giving this to kids. And he won't say we won't we, we can't do this in our state anymore. As Tucker pointed out in the interview, you can't give a 15 year old, you know, a glass of Johnny Walker. Doesn't matter if you think they're really mature or whatever. Nope, you're not, not allowed to give kids that. You can't let 12 year olds get married. You know, there, there are rules out there for children. Doesn't matter what the parents and the doctors think. But no, no, we, we won't take a stand on this issue because we want to. We want to uh, make room for the um, when I say we I'm talking about this is the argument Asa Hutchinson's making. He wants to make sure there's room for radical transgender ideology to uh, affect to, to really sacrifice our children on the altar of that radical transgender ideology. And this is an ideological thing. This is why when a peer reviewed paper on on contagion among children with transgender contagion, where. When one kid comes out as transgender, all of a sudden there's all these other kids in the class that are much, much more likely to come out as transgender. When that when that paper came out of Brown University, they had to shut it down, erase it from the Internet right away because normal people would see that and say, hmm, is this a meaning transgenderism for children? Is this a social construct being imposed on children by adults or is this really a, a critical human rights issue of of basic identity? You know, I, I'm. I'm wondering, you know, at what point I mean, the medical profession has lost a lot of credibility over the course of the pandemic from doctors. And I'm going to be specific here from doctors who one minute are telling you don't leave your house, don't go outside. It's reckless and you're putting lives at risk. You know, that was last April, last May, a year ago. But then all of a sudden, you know, Black Lives Matter protesters are out there in the streets and the same MDs are saying, well, this is actually saving lives. So, sure, go out, gather in big groups. It's fine now. We've seen that doctors, scientists, just like any other profession, are subject to politicization, are subject to biases and, and personal prejudices that comes into their work. But people try to cover over that. Uh, they try to, to cover it up. They, they, they want to elevate this priesthood of the scientists in order to control all of us. And I mean, I can tell you that Marxism as an ideology is built upon pseudo-scientific language. They try to create mechanized structures for language and thinking to make it seem like this is reasonable, rational, make sense, will be good. And they use a lot of, fa- I'm being serious, they use a lot of fancy big words for what amounts to a complete, ignorance of actual human nature history and what will create a good society but they create a pseudo-scientific jargon around marxism in order to make it seem more credible what does that who does that remind you of as we sit here talking about 
intersectionality. Wait, when when people who are woke speak, do they use words that are either new constructs, things like cisgender? And I mentioned intersectionality, you know, transgender human rights, uh, human rights causes. You look at the way they speak about that issue and things that are said. And there's always this evolution of language meant to gender dysphoria as opposed to gender identity disorder. They change the language in order to make it seem like there's a scientific and rational basis behind this when really it's just about control and shutting down argument, shutting down debate and ignoring what is true, what is reasonable and what is right. Asa Hutchinson is either not very smart or a coward or both. And he was exposed on Tucker Carlson's show in a way that I think anybody who's anybody who's thinking about running for president on the Republican ticket should have to go on TV and, and, and explain important decisions like this and get real questions asked. One of my big concerns, one of my big problems with what's happened in media in general is we do not debate anymore. There are no, people will not risk their brands. You will not have any nobody these days who has a lot of followers and is making uh, you know a lot of money in media or making a really good living in media. No one will put themselves in a position where they have to, on a level playing field with equal time, really throw down with somebody over what they're saying, what they believe. And I, it's one of the things when I first got into this business, I, I always was saying, I, I want to get out there. I want to be in debates. I, I don't want to debate, you know, e emotionally fragile 19 year olds from some third tier state university somewhere. I mean, I know conservatives all like that. stuff. So that's no, I actually want to go up and debate. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll debate Joe Scarborough or Rachel Maddow. Or, and I know they'd say, oh, we're too big and important to debate that guy. Although, you know, really. Uh, but, you know, pick somebody. Pick somebody who's legitimate. Pick somebody who really represents the left, who wants to have a debate on these issues. There is no form. There's no place. Going on CNN as a conservative to get shouted over and smeared for three minutes before they go to commercial breaks. You can see your new Toyota. I mean, that doesn't count. Going on the Bill Maher show where you have... Four crazy libs, including the host, all shouting over you and cursing and everything else. That doesn't count. We do not have debates anymore. And it is lower. It's lowering the level of our intellectual discourse. And it's also it also means I mean, look, there are there are some Republican voices. I mentioned Asa Hutchinson, but there are Republican politicians and media stars who are just not very smart, not very good, don't know the ideology, don't know what they're saying. They just see whatever the hashtag is that's trending and they shout. I mean, that's a real thing that exists in the party. And yet we and, and, and in our discourse in general, but I don't know how we I don't know how we change it. You know, I, I, I feel like everyone now is we're all in our own corners, listening to our own propaganda machines, echo chamber effect all the time. I, I wish we could have, you know, live debates, televised debates gather in real places, have people that have followings and, and people that believe in them. You know, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, too. And I know that. No, not every issue as a conservative, you're going to be in a place where you make the case and, you know, 51 percent of that audience can agree with you. That's fine. But otherwise, we get Asa Hutchinson saying, well, it's not conservative to do that. Yeah, the guy was a, a joke. If George Floyd's murderer is not sentenced, just know that all hell is going to break loose. Don't be surprised when buildings are on fire. 
That is a prominent Black Lives Matter activist named Maya Eccles on TikTok. And I, I have to wonder, I should check and see if that was allowed to stay on the TikTok platform. I'm sure if you are a woke leftist, you can basically threaten bloody revolution in America. But as long as your politics are left wing, social media platforms will, will give you uh, whatever, whatever leeway they can. They'll, they'll let you stay on the platforms. And the same reasons that you have for Trump being banned from Twitter forever, for example. But the mullahs of Tehran, their mouthpieces are still on Twitter. They're still online, right? There, there are true dictatorships, authoritarian regimes. They're able to stay on the Twitter platform and say all kinds of lies and terrible things. But no, no, they only it's only Americans silencing Americans on these platforms. Uh, conservatives, of course, that's what ends up happening. But not a, if you're left wing, you say whatever you want. I just I want to note. I, I know we did a bit of a deep dive into where we are with this trial yesterday. But here's here's what I'll say in the meantime. Based on the transcripts, I'm not watching it live. I don't have the time to watch it live. I'm reading transcripts and reading analysis of it, reading court transcripts and analysis of what's happened every day. And there is certainly reasonable doubt about Officer Chauvin in, you know, murdering somebody. OK, there's reasonable doubt. That's not the same thing as me saying I, I approve of what he did or I think he handled it the right way. Or No, that's not the same thing. There is definitely reasonable when, when you can't even be 100 percent certain about the actual cause of death in a situation like this. Uh, that that alone would rise to reasonable doubt. But but I want to be very clear. The media is reporting on this like it's a slam dunk. The corporate media is acting like th this will be a gr the gravest injustice imaginable based upon what's actually being presented as evidence. And they're avoiding they're editing out they're They're skipping past the places in all of this where there's a real defense being made here of Chauvin. I mean, his defense attorney is actually doing a pretty solid job. And all it takes is one person on that jury to believe that reasonable doubt is actually the standard. And you might have at least a, a hung jury. And we know if that happens, they're already telling us, the left is already telling us there'll be massive riots. What, what a sad and disgraceful thing for this country where there are threats of riots openly because of one criminal case that may not go the way the left wants. The fact that there is increasingly obvious desire from the Democrat Party to control everything about your life. I mean, this is why the, the pandemic, I think, has been such a, a moment of clarity for those of us who see what's really going on here, where Democrats have no problem telling you how you are able to breathe. Uh, Democrats have no problem telling you uh, where you can go, who you can see your own family. There is nothing that the statist authoritarian mentality thinks is beyond their control, beyond, beyond what should be uh, able to be dictated by them. And this is what's so troubling for me. They don't shy away from this at all. In fact, I think they're drunk with power. I think they really like it. And now we're seeing that communication, corporations, uh, so many different areas of American life are controlled by people who are who are absurd. I mean, their arguments are are just simply obtuse, but they really are devoted to this stuff. There's a mass moral panic going on. 
that the left is always pushing. And there's a mob mentality at the heart of all of this. And it's time that we understand what we really face. And, and one of the issues that I keep coming back to is about big tech and how you need to protect your privacy from big tech because you don't even know how down the line they're really going to come after you. And you can anonymize all your activity online. You can actually hide your IP address and you can encrypt all of your online, all of your online activity and data possible with ExpressVPN because ExpressVPN makes sure that companies can't see my IP address. I've got this on my devices. It's so easy to set up and so straightforward. And then my identity is anonymized. So you're not under this constant monitoring and censorship from the left the same way. Stop handing over your data to big tech companies and the government. Defend your rights with the VPN I trust for online protection. Visit expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck to get three extra months free. Just go to expressvpn.com slash buck. You'll get three extra months free on a one-year package. You know, Republicans drink Coca-Cola too, and we fly, and we like baseball. Taking a position on a highly incendiary issue like this and punishing a community or a state because you don't like a particular law that passed, I just think it's stupid. I like where Mitch McConnell's trying to go with this, but so far, he's wrong. So far, what he's saying isn't actually the truth. And we need to come to grips with this. When there's an issue like this that comes up, there's always this moment where conservatives will say, oh, you know, we're outraged about it and we're going to do something about it. And I'm just going to tell you, we really don't do anything about it historically. We, we don't do very much. We keep flying on these airlines. We don't cut, you know, cut off our subscription to whatever the company is. We don't take an action here. Um, and that's why they keep getting away with it. In fact, I always tell you about looking at the incentives, look at the incentive structure. And when you understand the incentives for these corporations, the people at the very top have a social incentive. Now, that's not just the folks at the country club for the Delta Airlines or Coca-Cola or MLB CEO or commissioner or whatever who are going to be nice to them. Remember that these the, the people who run these companies, they're subject to what the board says. They're subject to what the board of directors votes on it and decides. And that's something that is socially influenced. Right? They can be removed if the people on that board think, oh, you're not woke enough. And so the elites in our society now have adopted because they're non, as you know, our elites tend to be non-religious. They, a, lot of, a lot of atheists, whether they're open about it or not, running major companies. Does anyone really think like Jeff Bezos is a religious guy? I mean, you know, you look at these people, they're non-religious. But beyond that, their religion has actually become this woke, civic-minded, left-wing, politically correct garbage. That's what they've replaced it with. And climate change and these, these causes. They've replaced the existential, the existential um, void that exists in human beings that can be filled with a relationship with God and the everlasting. They've replaced it with these corporate identity politics shibboleths. And so it's very important for the CEO, it's very important for the chairman of the board when, when they're thinking about these issues 
to try to make sure that the people that can make decisions about their future view them favorably through that lens. And then beyond that, and this is the part that I think is even harder for people to understand, sometimes wokeness has been shown to be beneficial to the bottom line of these companies because we don't act on our politics because that's not how we think. We think of, I buy... I want to buy the best milk I can buy when I go to the store. I don't care about whatever, you know, PSA, my dairy farmers association or something, but I just want the best milk. Okay, I want it at a good price. I want the best milk. Democrats, they they have tied in their identity to their politics and expect everyone they're interacting with to do the same and to share their politics. That's the only acceptable way. So they do care about whatever, you know, soy milk they're drinking, that the soy farmers are putting out the right, you know, collective statement on this stuff. It does matter to them. And they will buy from woke companies. Nike, remember the, during the Colin Kaepernick thing? This is a perfect example. Uh, Nike uh, took the position that they were going to they were going to make Colin Kaepernick a superstar. This guy was like a mediocre quarterback during his time, had a couple of good years. Then he got old. He wasn't as good. And now he's become this civil rights hero or something in the sports world. The guy's, a, the guy's preposterous. But he's more wealthy and powerful than he's ever been because of this. Nike actually did better, at least in the early sales. Nike wasn't boycott because of Kaepernick. That never happened. And a lot of young leftists figured that this was now, it was now cool. It wasn't just a question of you want good Nike sneakers. It was now cool to support this Colin Kaepernick cause. So what I'm telling you is that we we need to face reality here. Woke Inc. makes more money sometimes from what they do. We have we have to stop that. That shouldn't be the case. But sometimes it is the case. And you have to understand these incentive structures. There's the social incentives and then there's the bottom line financial incentive structures in place. This is why I keep telling you. And yes, it is absolutely in my immediate interest to tell you this. The sponsors we advertise on this show are all, st- every single one of them, are standing with free speech, standing with the rights of people in America to hold conservative views. If they didn't, they would not be advertising with me. If they didn't believe in the First Amendment, if they didn't believe in the free, free expression of ideas, and, and they, they weren't believers in what I do here, which is speak the truth as I can, as I know it, and hold myself to real standards of decency and integrity in what I do. They're supporting me by sponsoring this show in different ways. You can support what we do here by actually buying those products. And any area where you actually have some kind of a need, and I'm not going to go here and start listing all of our sponsors, But I'm being serious when I tell you that is a way you are voting for what you are listening to to stay on the air. That is a way you are voting through the market, through your actions, you know, uh, and whatever the products may be. Or you can just keep on buying from Woke Inc. Keep buying from Woke Inc. and see what happens. See see how how many, uh, you know, good media options you'll have out there. Right. This this is the world we're living in now. We have to understand We are defending on our own 10-yard line. The left has pushed us way into the corner in the media and in corporate America. You know, the diversity stuff is completely, uh, the diversity mantra has overtaken 
all corporate hiring practices. United Airlines just put out today some statement about how in the next 10 years, 50% of their pilots are going to be either um, minorities or women. And I sit here, and this is a very, it seems like a relatively, oh, you know, just another statement from some woke, woke corporation. But no, think about this for a moment. What do you care about when it comes to a pilot? What, what matters to you when you're on a plane about that pilot? Do you even see? I mean, I, I think 90% of the time I'm on an airplane, I never even see what the pilot looks like. I, I, I have no idea what the pilot looks like, who the pilot is, or anything else. But what matters to you? I think we could all agree. All reasonable, rational people can agree. All that matters is that this person, whoever it is, male or female or whatever, this person is highly competent and skilled at their job and has a work history of being responsible, being efficient, being on it. All I care is that I have the best pilot I could reasonably have in charge of my life and the lives of the other, you know, 150 people or whatever on that jet. That's all I care about. I I care about their color or gender 0%. Makes absolutely no difference to me whatsoever. And I really mean that. To the point where if we only had, you know, female Filipino pilots on, on United Airlines who just happen to be the best at it for whatever reason, I'm just making, I'm making up a scenario here. I'd say, great, they're the best pilots. That's what I want. I only want those people to be the pilots if they're the best. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. And it's because at the end of the day, we're all looking at this saying, it really matters to you that you not be involved in a crash and possibly die in a fiery wreck. And that actually should matter to people a whole heck of a lot more than that that little that little hit of serotonin you get of the self that moment of self congratulation you have and you go yeah I'm woke yeah I'm all about diversity yeah that's great okay well do you want the plane to land or not but this is a perfect example of the way that they're they're subverting truth and objective fact and reality here because. If they're hiring the best based on the objective metrics and standards they have at United Airlines, they don't need to put out some statement like this because we just know they're hiring the best. But what it turns into is affirmative action, which is when they change standards, they say we're not changing standards. And then they say when people point out that they are lying and they have changed standards, it's sexist or racist or whatever. Happens time and time again. We all see this. We are aware of this. But remember, there is a war on observation in our society. A war on observing what is right in front of your face. You are not allowed to observe. You are told to obey. And so when United Airlines puts this out and people say, well, hold on, why... Why are 50%, first of all, it's kind of an arbitrary number, but why are 50% going to be women and, and minorities over the next 10 years? Uh, if you're just training the best people you can possibly get, you have no idea what those numbers will look like demographically over the next day. You have no idea, United Airlines. So why make that projection? Well, because they make that projection and then to fit their numbers into that projection, they will 
change standards. We've gone through this in, with the military now so many times, too, on the gender issue. They say, oh, no, no, women in, in frontline combat roles, they'll meet all the same standards of readiness as, you know, m- Marines deployed on the front line of the infantry. They'll meet all the same standards. And then we actually play this experiment out and women are injured at a, at a huge rate. Women can't meet the standards, so they change the standards. And then when the people that said you're going to change the standards are right, they say, why are you so sexist? Not why were you right? Wow, we should listen to you. But this is yet yet another example, yet another instance of where the truth does not matter to the left. It's about the narrative. They are telling stories in society that make them feel good and that increase their power. And you either go along with that or you get attacked. You're either on board for this or you're the problem. Thing that showed that their narrative was a piece of horse manure. Um, And it shows you how dishonest. These are smear merchants. That's why nobody trusts corporate media. Uh, They are a disaster in what they're doing. They knew what they were doing was a lie. I knew what they were doing was a lie. Everybody here knows what they were doing is a lie. They know that we know they're lying, and yet they continue to lie. And they lied, and they lied, and they lied. We offered them the information and they declined to interview the key people uh, because they didn't want to let go of the narrative. Well, guess what? There's going to be consequences for that. Uh, we're not, I know corporate media thinks that they can just run over people. Uh, you ain't running over this governor. I'm punching back. It's great, isn't it? DeSantis knows the game, knows what they're trying to do, and is going to fight back. Look, this, my friends, this guy, this guy could be president. He's formidable. He's committed. He gets it. He's good at his job. It's so funny. I know our, our folks down in WIOD and WFLA, as they hear this, are probably like, no, don't, don't take our governor. And I get it. I understand. You have, as a governor of the state of Florida, the best Republican politician right now in terms of leadership and results and, and putting points on the board. The best Republican governor, the best Republican politician really in the country. And, you know, the guy, he's... He's young. He's got some vitality. He knows how to handle the media. He's in a key state. There's a lot here, folks. There's a lot here. And it's it's early days, I know. But here it's perfect. Don't you see you have the the Trump infrastructure is in Florida now, largely Trump's at Mar-a-Lago. All that has to happen is DeSantis becomes Trump's guy in this. And we have that merger and Trump becomes that kingmaker with DeSantis going forward with his record of the pandemic, his record of the state of Florida. I mean, Florida is booming, right? This is Florida is booming. You know, Newsom and Cuomo are are fighting, you know, fighting massive disasters on their watch all the time for, of their own making, largely. And and yet, you know, Florida is absolutely booming. Everyone's go, leaving California, New York and moving to Florida. And it's such an important uh, important uh, situation that's unfolding before the eyes of the American people. And yet, oh, here's, here's, uh, speaking of Governor Gavin Newsom, he's opening up in June, they're saying, and all of a sudden everyone's going, wait a second, does that have anything to do with the fact that you're uh, really having a tough time here keeping, keeping your job? Play seven. 
California has been slower than other states in the nation to reopen schools and reopen businesses. What do you say to parents and business owners who feel like you let them down? Well, 9,000 of our 11,000 schools have either reopened for in-person instruction or have set a date to reopen for in-person instruction. We yeah, put, but they've been out of school for more than a year now at this point. Other states have been back for months. Yeah, so we put out a blueprint in December, $6.6 billion to address learning loss, and we're looking to extend the school year. It looks like you're going to face a recall election in a few months. I met some business owners who are supporting the recall effort against you because they feel like the decisions you made destroyed their livelihoods. Yeah, we put $2.5 billion in small business grants. California is the first state to do a state-at-home order. Uh, we have among the lowest death rates of the major states in the country. We think we're better positioned than most other states to come roaring back, and we're providing record amount of relief and support for small businesses. Has the recall effort influenced your decisions and pandemic response? Absolutely not. In fact, quite the contrary. We're just focused on the data disease prevalence. I'm focused on what's actually happening on the ground. He is such a smooth talker, isn't he? That Gavin Newsom. It's all bull crap, of course. This guy knows he's in trouble. He's going to face a recall, and they should recall him. Because when it was when it was what the left wanted, when it was what the corporate media was pushing, he was all about, all about telling everybody to mask up and lock down and everything else. And then we saw what a fraud he was. While he was making restaurants shut down, he was doing indoor dining at French Laundry. And so now I realize he better get things open up. He better improve the situation in California quickly. Um, and sure enough, may not be, it may not be enough, actually. Um, but you've got the, the different governors because the states really mattered during this pandemic. Your state leadership made a whole heck of a lot of difference to your life and your livelihood in the past year. And Governor uh, Newsom and Governor Cuomo, Governor Murphy, Governor Whitmer. Absolutely awful. Governor Abbott, maybe B minus. My man, Ron DeSantis, A plus. Our friend Ned Ryan is in the mix. He is the founder of American Majority, and he knows the political scene backwards and forwards. My man, Ned, great to have you back. Good to be back with you, Buck. Yeah, interesting, uh, very interesting times we live in, as usual. And uh, I I would hate to be bored, but uh, some of this stuff is getting ridiculous, especially on the woke corporation front. Yeah, I want to ask you about this, because here's where I think we are. People now realize that the biggest, wealthiest corporations in America are, by a pretty wide margin, left-wing controlled, leftist in terms of their politics and their wokeness. But here's the thing. We talk about this as conservatives, Ned, but I feel like we don't really do anything. I feel like, you know, people still, they still, you know, they still buy the same products from the same places. They don't actually take collective action. They don't actually come together. And we don't boycott. Do you see it that way? And and do you think regardless of whether we do this or not, there's a there's space for us to actually start to impose costs on companies that do not share our beliefs? A hundred percent. I mean, I think there's a couple different angles, but because I've been thinking about this, you know, I was watching the whole situation in Georgia with the new election laws, which, by the way, you know, an improvement, but not exactly a model that we want to follow across the board. But hey, okay, step in the right direction. But you would think it's the the apocalypse, the end of the world. 
you know, Delta steps into it and Georgia legislatures are like, fine, uh, we're going to remove your tax credits, your, your tax breaks here in Georgia. Fantastic. We, I, I, I'm, you know me, Buck. I'm like, if they're going to, if they want to play these political games, these corporations, they've been given a lot of benefits, tax breaks, all these things. Why don't we start taking them away? So there's that one thing where Republican legislators need to really take a hard look at, are these actually allies? Are they our friends anymore? And I think that's something else I want to explore here in a little bit. So it, that's the one thing. Go at them where it really hurts uh, on tax credits. But, yeah, I think conservatives, I, I've come to the point we don't buy Nike products anymore in this house. And, I, and it's one of those things where obviously over the last couple of years it's become very apparent that this the woke Nike corporation uh, that wants to lecture us on a whole variety of issues is actually having a lot of its products made by Uyghur slave labor in China uh, for, for a, a lot less than it would be made here on shore. So please don't try to lecture me, you work co corporations, as though you have some moral high ground. And I think that's the thing. I think that's the approach a lot of us need to take. In fact, I've got buddies who have taken the same approach. We're not going to buy Nike products any, anymore. In fact, they've gone and taken it a step further. They're not going to buy products that are made in China. So I think we have to start using the power of the purse and say, we're not going to put up with this anymore. You guys are actually trying to compel us on a whole host of fronts politically and also on the speech front and behavioral front. We don't have to take this from you anymore. And by the way, I really think a lot of these woke corporations, even the Chamber of Commerce, I mean, it's come to the point where they've gotten so many benefits from the Republican Party. They kind of Benedict Arnold, the Republican Party, especially in the 2020 elections. We're speaking to Ned Ryan, founder of American Majority. Ned, how is it that we have gotten to this point in, in what, what we're talking about here, where there's so many more corporations that are left wing and that are running, whether it's, you know, it's Uber, it's Google, it's Delta, it's American Express, it's Nike, it's United Airlines, it's 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 uh, Apple, it's Amazon. I mean, you just go, you're like, oh, my gosh. And these are the, these are the companies that in recent years have really been, you know, the big cause a lot of the, the the upswing in the stock market. I mean, these are really powerful companies. And yet they're so clearly backing the Democrats, the dollars that are going to candidates show this. And yet we still have this idea out there. there there's still this narrative that Republicans are the crony <laughs> capitalists controlled by the big corporations. I mean, how do we turn that around? I mean, but also, I mean, is that a part of it? Just that there are a lot of Republicans that want the scraps from the Chamber of Commerce table, so totally. to speak. No, no, totally. I mean, so there's a there's a couple things to unpack it here. But first of all, there has been a wrong wrong way of thinking in Republican and conservative circles for years. And I think it's really boiled down to this. We've mistaken corporatism for capitalism, right? So these crony capitalists, we've said, oh, no, you know, they're private corporations. It's industry. It's free enterprises, entrepreneurs. No, they're, they're crony capitalist monopolies, especially when you describe the big tech companies. And it's not capitalism. I, I, I make this argument to a lot of libertarians. No, these private corporations have become monopolies. You cannot have a free market dynamic when monopolies are dominating the marketplace. So, you know, specifically with big tech companies, I think Republicans have better get righteous on this and understand it's a tradition for Republicans to break monopolies and, and, and be antitrust. Theodore Roosevelt, Ronald Reagan, take a strong stance on this. But you know what the problem is, Buck? A lot of these guys are taking Google cash and Facebook cash. I mean, if you start to break it down, how some of these conservative organizations, but even our elected officials, I wrote a piece of this a couple couple pieces ago at American Greatness spelling out. I love Jim Jordan to death. I think Jim Jordan is a rock star on a variety of fronts. 
you can't be taking ten thousand dollars of Google money in the 2020 election. Expect me to actually think you're going to be correct on some of the tech issues. So I think we've got to completely reexamine our approach on is it corporatism or capitalism? And in what world did we decide, Buck, that we were just going to concede to these tech companies or these corporations? Who gets to decide what free speech is, the flow of information, but also some of this behavioral stuff? Like you're going to try and dictate some of our behavior and our society and our culture. I mean, even with this whole situation in Georgia and in, in what what the corporations are trying to step in and do and say, well, you know, your, your electoral process, uh, we consider racist and bigoted and Jim Crowish. I mean, this is this is the one point where I think Republicans have to step back and go, hey, who are our true friends here? What's the point of political power? Who are our allies? And how can we have the correct way of thinking about what true free market capitalism is? Because I think we're way off track on, on how we view this issue for decades. We're speaking to Ned Ryan, founder of American Majority. Ned, I, I know that it might seem to some like, oh, my gosh, we're talking about the midterms. We just it feels like we just caught our breath from the last election. But here we are. It's it's April. We're going to we're going to be in the midst of the summer here and people are going to start gearing up for the fall and candidates are going to yep. come forward. And, you know, we're going to be there before we know it. The narrative that we have to the counter narrative, if you will, kind of like the counter revolution in the Soviet era, the counter narrative that Republicans have to come up with is critical. And I know you're somebody that's involved in that process of making sure that we are adhering to conservative populist values while pushing forward candidates who can actually win on the national stage, win at the state level. What is it? What what are we offering now? You know, what does the Republican Party? I mean, I know I'm putting a lot on you here, but what does the Republican Party in April of 2021 stand for? What should it stand for? What it should stand for is America first and last. What, What are we doing to actually advance the American people's interests, protect their interests on a whole variety of fronts? whether it's trade issues, whether it's immigration issues, which, by the way, I think probably most people have noticed. You know, now the Biden administration is saying, yeah, we might actually have to keep building the border wall for southern border security. Shocker. I, I think I think the message is it's Americanism, right? What are we actually doing to advance and protect the interests of the American people, which is the basic premise of our constitutional republic, right? All power flows from the American people. They give all this the power to the elected officials who are supposed to be stewards of the power and money given to them. It's the whole concept of self-governance. It would be nice if Republicans actually started talking that way of like, hey, we're here to actually represent you, the American people, not corporations, not big donors. So I think that's something that has to change that's going to be a process of evolution because, quite frankly, Buck, those are very powerful forces still inside of the Republican Party. Um, But I've told Trump this, but I, I keep on reiterating this is a chance in the 2022 primaries to really take a chance, take that moment to really imprint America first on the Republican Party. Because, again, I, I say this all the time. A, people, a, a party is what people say it is, and the people who say what it is are those that run and win primaries, show up at conventions, and run for precinct chair. And so the America first folks have to identify and coalesce behind the right candidates in the primaries, which is going to be a bit of a process, get them to win. And if as they win, we start to change the essence of the Republican Party. The other thing I'll say, though, is this, that, that people should have some hope going into the midterms, Buck, is this. Don't forget redistricting is happening, right? And, and the way that it's going to happen, we're going to know April 30th, I believe, how some of the redistricting is going to work, what states are losing seats, which, which states are gaining seats. I think off redistricting alone, Republicans are going to be in a very, very good position to actually take the majority back in the House. But we've got to make sure that we focus as America First conservatives on the primaries to make sure especially in these, I think it's three new districts in Texas and two in Florida, 
that we take those opportunities to make sure that we've got the right champions in those ruby red districts that are going to be created so that we have more voices like that in the House. And then, you know, in the Senate, we've got some opportunities. I think we've got a chance to take back the Arizona seat uh, from Kelly. I think we've got a chance to take back the Georgia seat from Warnock. We've got an opportunity to replace really kind of establishment figures in Pennsylvania and Ohio with more America first type candidates in the Senate races. So I would encourage people start thinking about it right now. Who's saying the right things, who is actually promoting the right ideas. And the last thing I'll say is this Buck. What I would like to see is every Republican governor and every prominent Senate candidate go on Tucker Carlson because he would be an amazing vetting process based off his Asa Hutchinson uh, interview last night. I mean, that it's, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, you had, Gnome, who was really being talked about right alongside DeSantis right. as a likely presidential candidate. And you also had um, uh, Hutchinson, as you, as you mentioned. I mean, it, there was like two cases of political self-immolation on national TV. Do you think that speaking of corporate interests, do you think that both of yes. them had bowed to corporate interests and essentially got caught with their hands in the in the corporate cookie jar? Yeah, 100%. No, I think there's a I, I know with Noam, there's a massive chamber of commerce influence. I would suspect the same with Hutchinson. And it was one of those beautiful things. I even you know texted Tucker afterwards and said, listen, I think the best thing you could do for the movement is somehow get the other 24 Republican governors on over the course of this year. Quite frankly, I would bring on any you know prominent Senate candidates. Let's have them go on with Tucker for seven, eight, nine minutes. And at that point after that, they're either going to be exposed for frauds, as Noam and Hutchinson have been exposed as, or they're going to come through like DeSantis and go, dang, I, I, I got to tell you, Buck, I had my question marks about Ron DeSantis beginning of 2020. I'm becoming a big fan of Ron DeSantis. He's making all the right moves on every front, whether it's tech issue, whether it's coronavirus, whether it's election integrity. I mean, this whole 60 minute special, he went right back at him and just, I mean, literally obliterated 60 minutes. I'm like, this is fantastic. I really like this guy. We need more like this. We're speaking to Ned Ryan, founder of American Majority. And Ned, I'm totally with you on Ron DeSantis. I mean, I try not to be, you know, I I never want to be a cheerleader for any political candidates. I always want to be more like a like a coach, you know, encouraging, get in the game, do the good things. And sometimes you got to tell them you're not doing the good things. But uh, I I, got to tell you, I. I see a real future for him. I know a lot of people do. That's a that's a statement of the obvious right afternoon following politics. Where does MAGA fit into all of this? I mean, Trump is putting out these. I know you and the, and the Trump family and Trump himself are close. He's putting out these statements from yep. down in Palm Beach. You know, it gets in the news cycle for about 12 hours and then we kind of move on to other things. I, I keep hearing there's stuff being planned. Do you have any sense of what's actually happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, Politico broke a story. I obviously had known what was going on, but they broke a story that Susie Wiles, who ran Florida for Trump in 2016 and 2020, and I went to the mats to get her back to run Florida in 2020. She's been asked to come in and reorganize the Save America, the Super PAC, the Leadership PAC, the C4. Uh, you know, And so she's in there organizing everything. She's very good at what she does. I trust her implicitly, as does Trump. So she's reorganizing everything. And I think one of the things that they're trying to do is get everything squared away on the super PAC front, PAC front, C4 front. And I know there's obviously plans for him to have some social media platform. So he's obviously he's he's putting the pieces in place to have that impact on the midterms. And again, I talked to him, you know, into February. And I think he's he's planning on playing a role, a very significant role in a lot of these primaries. Obviously, the, the House races where they voted to impeach him. 
you can be guaranteed he's going to target those in some of these Senate races. So, no, Susie's coming in. She's reorganizing. She's getting everything on the right trajectory. And uh, based off everything I've heard over the last week or two, I'm pretty encouraged because with Susie Wiles at the helm, you know that those outfits will be run like they're supposed to be run and be effective. What about Ned Ryan for, you know, Senate <laughs> in the state of Virginia, buddy? Oh, gosh. I have to tell you this, book. One of the things that you have to do in Virginia, and I'm going to beat the drum on this for however many years, and if I ever decide to run, hopefully this will have been done. We need to do voter registration in, in Virginia and other battleground states, and I'll just sh- share a quick story with you. In 2004, George W. Bush won the state of Virginia with 1.7 million votes, 1.7 and change. 2004, 2008, 2012, 2020, 2016, 2020, guess what? Republicans have basically peaked out at 1.7 million votes in the presidential. Democrats? Democrats were at 1.4 million in 2004. They're now at about 1.9 million and have been holding steady at that for the last couple presidentials. If Republicans don't actually start to do some of these fundamentals like the Democrats have been doing and actually investing the time, money, effort into voter registration to build out the base, it's going to be tough to win places like Virginia. So I will say this. I might explore that in the future, Buck, if some of the fundamentals are much better and the right work is being done over the next, say, two or three election cycles. How's that? All right. We'll take it for now. Ned Ryan, (laughs) founder of American Majority. Ned, always great to have you, buddy. Thanks, Buck. We believe that President Biden um, legally has the authority to cancel up to 50,000 in student debt through executive action, a flick of a pen. That means... Sabrina and Daryl and Kendrick and Taniva. You don't have to go through Congress. You don't have to worry about all that. He's done some good things, the president has, but we'd like him to go further. And uh, we know particularly now with COVID-19 ravaging the economy, so many people out of work, so many people having even more difficulty to pay their debt that we ought to go do this right now. It's pretty straightforward. Why should student loan debt be privileged over other forms of debt that people have? Why should the government just pick winners and losers in such a such an overt way? And and what, what does that actually mean for our higher education system? Um, you know, you look at this and, and you say, oh, hold on a second. Forty five million borrowers collectively owe about one point seven trillion dollars in student loan debt. But. 45 million is less than 20% of the 250 million adults in the U.S. The vast majority of the adult population no longer has or never had student loans, okay? So if if we're really talking about the COVID-19 pandemic, I mean, people are behind on rent. People are behind, uh, they owe credit. I'm sure people listening to this right now, your business has been shut down. You might have maxed out your credit cards to try to keep things going, you might be behind on a couple of mortgage payments, but people that's, you know, people that read up $50,000 of student loan debt, I mean, are, are they financially able to, to carry that debt and pay it for now? Are we even looking into that or is it just we're, we're going to pick a what seems like a, a for Democrats politically advantageous debt category and just wipe it away when a lot of working class folks who you know, went to community college or maybe went to no college or, you know, did a year or two at state school or went to trade school, they're going to say, hold on a second, other people get $50,000 of debt just wiped away by the government? Why? Why? You know, and and this is where you start to say, you know, how far are we from the concept of a jubilee? 
a wiping away of all debt. You know, this actually comes from the Bible. You go back, how far are we from that being the pitch? Maybe I'll dive into this a little bit more in the future. But, you know, it's it's very important, I think, that we understand that politicians picking winners and losers in this way is just the beginning. So, yeah, he'll wipe away $50,000 of, of student loan debt, perhaps, with, with an executive order. But you think this is the, this is it? You think this is the only thing they're going to do like this? Oh, no, friends. Oh, no. Some radical stuff is going to be coming down the pike. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. It's time for Roll Call. You know, I'm pretty smart. We don't even need our cool groovy tunes. I could yes, just. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> I'm yep. just saying I can do it myself. I'm very talented that way. Did you ever watch the Police Academy movies? No, I don't think so. Wait, really? Oh, they were great. Actors. They're classics from the 80s. But there was a guy who could do his whole thing was he was a one of the police academy officers and, and he would do all these different uh, like sound effects with his mouth. You, you know, I guess you don't know what I'm talking about. Police academy movies were big for a little while. I mean, they're like slapstick comedy stuff. I've definitely heard of them. I just don't think I've seen them. I mean, it might be might be worth you know you checking out. Um, which can I ask what you've been watching recently? Because you know you never take my suggestions, so I don't even ask anymore. But what have you been watching? I mean, there have been two things on Disney Plus I've been watching, and uh, I don't know how I feel about Disney Plus doing this, but they're doing the weekly rollout of the series rather than like the old Netflix style where you put the whole season out and you can binge it. Yeah. Um, but I've been watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and uh, the revival of the Mighty Ducks. Which has been surprisingly good. What? Mighty Ducks revival? Yeah, they're doing a new series on Disney Plus about a new crop of ducks. And Emilio Estevez is in it. It's basically... The only problem I have with it is that they've made the ducks the enemy. (gasps) Yeah. Bad ducks? Wow. Please never make that noise again. But but you know how the the Mighty Ducks in the original movies, they were the heroes, obviously. They came from nothing and became this big program. Well, now apparently they're like the enemy. They're the big, you know, uh, bully program of Minnesota high school or uh, youth hockey. And uh, the this one player gets cut, and he makes his own team to try and so it's like them. it's like Mighty Ducks the series. Go duck yourself, basically. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's interesting. Well, I'm glad. Glad you're. It's definitely that. for kids, but I only like it for the nostalgia. You're still one day going to be like stuck, you know, home with like a stubbed toe or something. And you're going to say, oh, my gosh, I got to watch the boys on Amazon Prime because Buck's been telling me for like three years now to watch it. I promise I will. But, you know, know, I have a lot of sports to watch and my wife isn't going to watch that. So, no, I hear you. No, look, hey, happy, happy wife or in my case, happy girlfriend, happy life. I know how it goes. Um but do you want to tell everybody you got a kind of exciting is it is tomorrow a more exciting day than your birthday? Let's just let's just get right to it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Tell everybody what's going on. Well, I, I don't think a lot of people in this audience are going to like this, but um, as America as America was built on your own choice. So I'm going to the home opener for the New York Mets tomorrow. It's the first time I've gone as a fan. Uh, I have gone as a media member before, but never gotten to enjoy it as a fan. So I'm very excited. 
Nice. What you're gonna be? Obviously, it's outdoors. We know yes. nice weather tomorrow. I haven't checked. Uh, it'll be in the 60s. A city field is always extremely cold. Yeah, dude, you better get so. out the like the the layers. You need the layers. Oh yeah, I'll be layering. I've got my big heavy Mets coat that I'll be bringing. Yeah, I, I'm prepared. I've done it. Before. Well, you're the guy. You're the guy who goes to the sports event with the gear of the team. <laughs> I mean, what am I gonna go in a polo and khakis? Like, of course I'm gonna wear a you know Mets stuff. Normally, I'd yeah. wear a jersey, but you know. It, I will wear one, but it'll be under a bunch of layers. Well, we're all we're all excited for you. We know you're a Mets super fan, and uh, just just real quick, who are they? Who are they playing? Is it a, is it a game that's of interest, or just because it's opening day? Uh, it's the Marlins, which any team in their division this year are actually pretty good, so it'll be a fine game. Yeah. And because the billionaire owner Steve Cohen out, is it like? Uh, do they have people sort of showing up and, and spooning little bits of caviar in your mouth now? I mean, is, uh, are things kind of... Not that I'm aware of, but I will report back uh, on Friday's show. Yeah, I will say that is one thing that is not often talked about. Because So I grew up, you know, my, my dad and my uncle um, were both guys who were, they were Wall Street guys and they liked the Knicks. And my, my dad's really good friend, who passed away years ago, used to be a season ticket holder and so he was a season ticket holder, but we would sometimes, you know, take we'd buy some of the tickets from him, take them off his hands. We couldn't go to games. So I went to I mean, I would I wouldn't say as many like my dad went to more than I, I probably went to a dozen Knicks games growing up, which for me was a lot of professional sports games over a course of, I'd say, maybe 10, 10 or 15 years. I probably went to a dozen Knicks games. So at least a game or two a year, let's say. And I remember the food, even when I was a kid, the food was awful. At Madison Square Garden. Now, Mark, this is a long time. This is like yeah. before you were born, basically. But the food, it was like they had, you know, just like hot dogs with all the mustard all over them. And not that that's that bad, but I mean, it was, it would. Now, I, I've gone back to Madison Square Garden mostly for PBR, for professional bull riding. My whole family likes to go every year. We have a great, we didn't go this year, but usually because of COVID. But we go, but we'll take you sometime if you want. It's actually a lot of fun because you can get really close to the actual arena floor and it's not expensive. I mean, you know, Nick's tickets are outrageous. It's not expensive at all to go. Anyway, um the food is amazing in these stadiums. Yeah. That, because like, you can get like a, a gourmet, you can get like gourmet brisket at Met Stadium. Yeah, that uh, you can get uh, my favorite thing is uh, the Pat Lafrida filet mignon sandwich. Oh my gosh, it's got, that actually uh, sounds legitimately delicious. I think some sort of cheese, I don't remember the exact side of cheese, uh, grilled onions, and the filet mignon obviously is a star, it's amazing. And it, as everybody knows, this is the part of the show where both you and I start to get a little hungry, so the, somehow the conversation often transitions to food. I'm like, Bruce and Mark, what I, are you going to be eating? You know, I hey, really you hope put... they have all the concessions open tomorrow so I can properly do what I want and eat yeah. anything I want. Oh, man, yeah, you should go for it. We're all very happy for you. And so don't worry, everybody. The show will be on tomorrow, as is. With the, the game, Producer Mark, is we're going to get Producer Mark to the, the game. I promise the listener will not know the difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, 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 it'll, it'll all be fine for us. But Producer Mark going to open day. I, I would love to go go check out some sports uh, sports events. What what do you th- what is it co- what does it cost right now if I wanted to get if I want to get a couple of Mets tickets, um, you know, which I can't even pretend like I care about the Yankees. Although by, by my my dad is a Yankees fan. He's the only one who cares a little bit about professional sports on the baseball side, and probably not even really anymore. But what about what are we talking for for like mid range Mets tickets in May or June? See, right now it's hard to say because they're only twenty percent capacity. So I don't uh, actually. So you know can't the even answer. get them because you got to get the you got to get the ticket. Like, the only reason I'm going is because a friend has season tickets. And he right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the way it's. Because no, dude, I, I 
I do think that we're going to reach this point, because I feel this way, and this is true, I think, for a lot of people across the country, where we just want to experience life. Like, everyone would get out there and do. If you were ever thinking about doing something before, going somewhere, you know, enjoying some kind of an event, maybe a little bit of a splurge, I think this pandemic has made a lot of us feel like uh, the time is now. <laughs> like, as soon as we can get, when I mean now, maybe not like today, but, you know, don't wait on these things, because who even knows? You know, I went uh, I went to PBR with my family before the pandemic. I went to a Knicks game before the pandemic. I went to, uh, you know, I, I did a bunch of things, not even thinking. of. I took the Snow Princess, believe it or not, Bruce, I took the Snow Princess at her request to New York City Ballet. It was very civilized. Uh, um, you must have been bored out of your mind. Uh, Well, you know, I am a classically trained musician, which is something I don't often talk about on the show, but I was as a kid and I played in orchestras for years and stuff. So whole other conversation for another time. Um, But yeah, no, I I, ballet, although I will say, and just in case the Snow Princess is listening, I have to put this very the um, the the lady dancers are very athletic at the ballet. So there is that. Um. That's about all I can say about that, though. I don't really understand the dancing part of it very much. I love you. <laughs> what was that from? That was Governor Cuomo. Oh, <laughs> Governor Cuomo, that, Which, that shady the, son of a gun. Considering the recent allegations, I thought it fit well. Uh, yeah. Right, let's, let's get into it here. Let's get into the roll call. we got producer Mark in a good mood he's going to have a fun day tomorrow. Let's get into the roll call. we got Ken here. Buck. Hope all is well. I'm a lifelong Republican in Oregon. Done vote by mail my entire life. I try to find the logic and understand the arguments of the left to understand the person and not wall off my mind. But I'm left scratching my head. Georgia adopts the same system of proof of identity we have in Oregon. But here locally, even my Democrat parents are calling Georgia's law Jim Crow. The logic of it is making my head hurt a little bit, honestly. What's worse, they don't see the, the congruity between the two sets of laws. My head hurts. I need an aspirin shield tie. Well, Ken, great to have you listening in Oregon. And if you listen on a station out there, because I know we got a great Portland station, uh, please, please do tell us. We always love to hear what, what our affiliate stations are that uh, people are reaching out from. And as for, uh, as for your, yeah, I mean, this is, it's the mob mentality here, and it's propaganda. It's just propaganda. People say what they think they're supposed to say, and they benefit from saying it, and that's it. You know, they don't really think through it beyond that. Um, so, yeah, um, that's that's kind of where it is. Uh, and actually, here, we've got... You're not the only one that feels like their head hurts on this thing. Producer Mark, could I overthrow a, a, a clip in here in the roll call for a second? Because I wanted to get to some before. Uh, on the Georgia voting law, play play 15, would you? No, the president has blatantly lied repeatedly, and now his paid mouthpieces are repeating his lies. Good for Peter Ducey for pressing her on that point. They should press the president and his paid mouthpieces on whether he's going to condemn his own state of Delaware, since they have many fewer drop boxes than does Georgia, that they don't have any early voting as, as well. Again, the Georgia law is designed to avoid the problems they had in their elections last year, not just on November 3rd in their primaries last summer, when Donald Trump wasn't even in a contested race. People had to wait hours in line. This bill is designed to give Georgians convenient access to vote while also making their elections safe, secure 
secure and efficient. And it's time that Joe Biden apologized for slandering Brian Kemp, the Georgia legislature and the state of Georgia. Well, there, there you go. All right. That's well said by Cotton. Slandering Georgia, slandering the legislature. Ken, Senator Cotton agrees that you got to see your roll call got a clip played. There you go. Thanks for listening out in Portland. Uh, I wonder what that's uh, what it's like out in Portland these days. Everything I always see, it's always oh no, you're in or- Oregon, Oregon. He's not in Portland. Okay, there we. I I, I just inserted that in my own head, um, but he could be because I know that like a lot of states, there's the coastal side of Oregon where the loony left reigns supreme, and then you get more inland, and it actually gets pretty red. And people enjoy gun rights and you know like the constitution and you get you get inland although i will say uh cannon cannon beach is beautiful i really do like it i know the libs well guys why do we let the libs take all the coasts can we have i okay no that's not true that's not true western coast of florida we got some stuff there uh gulf coast we got some of that coast but on the ocean coasts why do we cede all the ocean coast to the libs I mean, you go, you go, you start in Washington down to San Diego, Maine down to uh, Miami, and it's pretty much blue the whole way. I mean, you may get a little bit of red in some of the Carolinas along the coast, but not really, you know, not really in Delaware, Jersey, Libs, Libs, Long Island on the coast, Libs, Interior, Conservative, anyway. It's it's really pretty amazing to think about how consistent that trend is. You get blue coastal libs all along, except except the Gulf Coast, which I got to go down. I've never been. I want to go to the Gulf Coast, Alabama, Mississippi. Um, I want to check it out. All right. Mark. Hey, producer Mark. Great name, obviously. And Buck. I love when you guys put producer Mark first, by the way, just to like just so I like, you know, don't get too big for my britches over here. We, we I know who you guys love. Producer well, Mark. I, I, I think they know who reads the emails. Uh, fair. Yeah, that, that, see, it's a very, we have a very savvy audience. They know. I guess my Georgia got on the news again. Our governor is not quite Ron DeSantis, but he's grown quite a bit since getting into office. Our generation in Georgia was all mostly conservative Democrat. It's almost a one-party state. So it took a bit for him to realize that today's left will lie, cheat, and steal to get their way. That is not the classic way. But as Kemp has learned, he stood firm and spoken back. Even Atlanta's own Coke, invented by a wounded Confederate colonel, is no longer welcome in the Georgia GOP. This will be a key battleground the population is shifting with a growing African-American community drawn here from around the country and a large Hispanic community since the Olympic construction boom and the thriving business community has now gone full leftist. Georgia's business-friendly conservative policies have nurtured a conservative-hating viper in its metro Atlanta bosom. Well, Mark, thank you for the, uh, the eloquent uh, roll call. And yeah, Georgia, man, great state, great state. I... I hate to see it go woke because it's going to go broke. All right. Next up in Roll Call, we've got our friend Dave. Remember, if you want to be a part of Roll Call, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or Team Buck. Email us at Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com and check out BuckSexton.com. You can listen to the podcast there and I'll have an editorial up tomorrow on this immigration madness at our southern border. Uh, Check it out. BuckSexton.com. Always, always, always uh, worth, worth your time. Dave. Hey, Buck, glad to hear you had Glenn Youngkin on the show today. 
Unfortunately, Virginia is lost and will be blue for the foreseeable future. Mark, I think we got to get a like, then uh, the price is right. The bum, 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 you know, but the the uh, unhappy sound when you get it wrong. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, I understand. The, the buzzer. Bum, 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 bum. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. When somebody says the wrong. Anyway, that's what we need for that. The Republican Party's been running disastrous candidates the last decade. The local media torpedoed Bob McDonald and Ken Cuccinelli over a bunch of lies. It's awful, Buck. We have people fleeing the Northeast Corridor and moving to Northern Virginia. They get twice the house for half the price and much lower cost of living. Unfortunately, they bring their liberal votes with them. We joke now about Nova, Northern Virginia, and Rova, rest of Virginia. They're turning the Commonwealth blue, and I don't see it changing. It would be able to concede everywhere north of Fredericksburg to Maryland to strengthen our votes that are informed and really matter. Keep up the great work with producer Mark. Uh, well, we will, uh, we will certainly try. Thank you so much. And yeah, it, you see, I, I, my experience of Virginia is Northern Virginia mostly. Although I have family in, Char- I've got an uncle in Charlottesville. I've got an uncle there uh, who is, uh, you know, conservative, patriot, constitutionalist. And so I and my grandmother used to live in Charlottesville. So I have family in Virginia. So it always has kind of a place, you know, in my heart. But northern Virginia is just is just D.C. expanded. It's just Washington, D.C. now expanded. I mean, it's it unrecognizable in culture and demography to the rest of the state. Uh, very, very different. So there's that. There we go. <laughs> All right, everybody, that's the show for today. Back tomorrow. Shields high.